Thank you. Please be seated. Another very long Bible reading today. <laughs> this morning we'll be reading from Genesis 1. Um, you will find that at the beginning of your Bible. It is actually page 1, but there is no number on it. But uh, it might take you a few moments to flip to it. Again, we'll be reading from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening. And there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let birds increase in, on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to its kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. May God bless, may God bless the reading of his word. Thanks. Well, welcome back to the students who are back to college for first week. Uh, we've said goodbye to a fair few of our own, and we're always happy to have the uh, last year students back. Uh, life is different without you over the summer, so we're glad you can rejoin us. Now, as we head into the fall, we're going to do something different this, at least for the first semester, probably for the year, something different than what we normally do. No, we're, we're still going to preach from the Bible. That's, that's standard. But we're going to take a different approach to it than what we normally do. And maybe I'll tell you why. So I was on sabbatical recently. I had a chance to be thinking about this and doing some research in it. Now, um, this doesn't worry me. It doesn't, need not worry you. But, you know, as I look at my life, you know, most of you know I've already had a heart attack. And most of you know that I probably won't stop eating ice cream. And most of you know that I don't, I'm not an enthusiast about invasive medical procedures. So my first heart attack did no damage. It just got my attention. No damage. I still jog every day. I still, I eat less ice cream. But the point is, there is a certain uh, terminus toward which I'm headed more quickly than most of you. And it got me thinking, you know, what do I really want to do most urgently in the time that we have left together? Now, I tried to hide it from you, but somebody leaked, and you all know that I've turned 60. So, uh, there is a clear terminus if I last until 67, then, um, you know, a retirement comes in at some point. So I've got this one last segment of my life. I've always planned my life in segments. And while I was doing some uh, reading in, in uh, management books, you know, the old idea, as you plan your own personal future, as you plan the organizational future, the, the, the old idea was to consider four characteristics. SWAT, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Now, management, like anything else, goes in cycles. And so now that whole thing has been panned. And the most common thing now is to, to plan just in terms of the S, the strengths. You know, what can we do together that is distinctive to this church? That, that what can I contribute to this church culture in the however long I have between one week and seven years left? Now, what we normally do is to preach through the Bible, which is unusual enough nowadays, but we preach through the Bible through a book, you know, chapter by chapter, which gives us a really close-up view of the terrain. But I've been a little concerned that maybe we don't have a, a, a bird's-eye view of the terrain, the bird's-eye view of the whole journey. And in fact, scholars have been realizing in the last, say, 30 years that really the Bible is one long story. 
in a lot of little segments. It's like the story you could tell around a campfire piece by piece by piece by piece that you could tell from parents to kids in the home at night over the course of a year or more. You know, it's broken up into a lot of little chunks. But the story has, oh, arguably maybe three main movements in it. So what we want to do this year is look at that overall story. Now, the senior pastor in the Chinese ministry has been very gracious because normally whatever we preach here is what they preach in CM and, and youth ministry. And they've given us uh, latitude to act not unilaterally, but independent, well, anyway, semi-independently. And so we're going to, what we'll do is uh, take an overview of the whole Bible. Uh, we'll go through the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. We'll go through the first five books. It'll probably take us to the end of the fall. And then hopefully, with the foundation laid in the spring, we can pick up speed and cover the rest of the Old Testament. And that gives us two-thirds of the story. And then we'll see when we can fit in the New Testament for the final third of the story from the New Testament until today. But what we want to do is, see, what message was God sending to the ancients through this text? And what message is he sending to us in the big picture? Now, the sermons will be integrated with two other parts of our program. The sermons, I will be, as long as I can keep up, I may not be able to keep up, but as long as I can, the sermons will be tied in with devotionals. Now, those devotionals are a little bit different than the devotionals you've seen before. Before, we used to spend one week on a chapter. A sermon would cover one chapter, and the devotionals would be six reflections on that one chapter. But now, if we want to cover the whole Bible, we have to move faster. So, basically... You know, this sermon will cover three chapters. Some sermons will cover 10, 12, even 15 chapters. Or, or some piece of it. You know, we're not going to have scripture readings that are 15 chapters long. Emily will be relieved. But, but in conjunction with the sermon, there will be, we'll break the passage down into daily devotionals. So there'll be six daily devotionals, and those will be online. I forgot to put in the bulletin what the blog address is. TheBibleYear.WordPress.com TheBibleYear.WordPress.com Oh, there you go. Thank you. And so, you find it there. Uh, now, some of it is password protected. In this church, we have insiders and we have outsiders. <laughs> to be among the elect... To have full access to all things, you have to be a small group leader. I gave them the password. Or you have to attend the Sunday school class. You see, I told you three things are integrated. So you've got the, um, you've got the sermon, the devotionals, and the Sunday school class. So just before this at 9.45, there's a Sunday school class, Old Testament survey. If you get into that, you can be elect without being a Bible study leader. And they get the password. The rest of you don't, don't get too annoyed. I was, either that or I'll put up two, two blogs. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. But for the moment, what I want to do is, one every day, release a new devotional reading. You know, hopefully as a, an aid as you read the Bible and interact with God each day. Please do this. At first, I wanted to, you know, facilitate. I want, you know, you, you want to read the Bible first. God speaks to the Bible. If I get the Bible right, then maybe he speaks to me, but you can't trust me, you can trust the Bible. So read the Bible first. 
Now, at first, I had a Bible reading, I had a Bible reading, and then I had the devotional. But people with these mobile devices, I have a dumb phone, people with smartphones were saying, whoa, you know, three chapters. It looks big, long on a mobile device. So I've, against my preference, I have removed the Bible portion and just put the devotional in there so it doesn't look overwhelming. But please, read the Bible first, and then the devotional. And then, of course, the third piece of that sermon, and then devotional, and then Sunday school class. And by the end, if you really put your mind to it, you know, by the end, we should all be able to have a pretty good idea of what's happening from the beginning of Scripture till at least the end of the Old Testament and and what stages it happens in. And here's why this is important. God has chosen to speak to us through Scripture. God has chosen to speak to us through what he said to some people 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. You know, once in a while, God speaks to people through dreams. Once in a while, God speaks to people, to people through prophecy. Once in a while, God speaks to people through impressions. But the normative and really only reliable way that God speaks to us, we want to hear from God, is from, we go, we go to the Bible. Now, the point here is not to know the Bible. Our goal is not, at the end of this year, to know the Old Testament and the flow of the narrative through salvation history throughout the whole Old Testament. That's not our goal. That's only our means. Our goal is to hear from God. But if we want to hear from God, we've got to read the Bible. And we can't just say, well, you know, randomly open up a Bible, point to a verse, and see what, you know, whatever we wanted to say. You know, God said something. And it means we have to put a little bit of effort into understanding what was he saying to them. But once we understand that, you see what we have? We have the opportunity to hear God speak to us. He's not just talking to them. It's not just words on a page. He's talking to us. Now he talks to us with what he said to them. But this is an extraordinary opportunity. The the, the God has not left us wandering around in the darkness trying to figure out who he is and what he wants to do and how he wants to use us. So we give our attention to Scripture over the, next, uh, over the next few months to understand what was God saying to them and then how is that relevant to us. And so we start today at the beginning, naturally enough, Genesis 1 to 3. Now, if it were up to me, I would skip Genesis 1 to 3 because it's controversial. I'd start at Genesis 12 because that's really... You know, Genesis 1 to 3 is a prequel. Genesis 1 to 11 is a prequel. It sets up a scenario. It identifies a problem. And the whole rest of the Bible deals with that problem. So we start here, but we start, you know, what we want to do is pay attention to what God was trying to say to them. And God was not trying to talk to them about genetics, about DNA, about evolution, about Contemporary science, modern science. God wasn't talking to them about that. There was a problem that Judaism faced that was pretty much unique in its day. Anyone who who believed in God, Yahweh, faced a unique problem in their day. And that's the problem that Scripture is trying to address from beginning to end. And particularly, Genesis 1 to 3 sets up what that problem is. And it's a problem that's still with us today. And it's a problem we face as Christians. 
the alternative, you know, if you believe in the ancient times, you know, in the Old Testament, Genesis days, if you believed in Yahweh, there was an alternative. You could also embrace the Canaanite gods. Multiple, a lot of gods. Animistic gods. Now, in our day, the alternative is not other gods. Typically, the alternative for Americans is either believe in God or believe in no God. But we face a similar challenge if we affirm the belief in God to what they face affirming a belief in Yahweh. And I illustrate it this way. Uh, 1977, in the town of Natick, just nearby, a few miles down the road, there was a boy named Aaron Kushner died of old age at 14. His parents had, you know, he had this premature aging disease, I think, a condition called progeria, if I pronounce it right. And his parents, of course, what that meant was it wasn't a sudden death. They saw him aging before their eyes from zero to, you know, 85, old age, in 14 years. Now, as it happens, his father was a rabbi at the local synagogue and ended up serving over 25 years there. And so he has God and he has the son. And he said, it changes theology. Because he'd gone through seminary. And he remembers a time in the life of his congregation when there was a 17-year-old dying. And he said to the parents, you know, he used his seminary studies to try and interact with the parents. And he said to them, basically, you know, well, we have to believe that somewhere, somehow, in all of this, God has a plan. And we don't see that plan yet. But God has a plan for this suffering, for your son dying so young. God has a plan, and in the end, when we really understand it, when we look back on it, or in heaven when we see it, we'll understand that he had a plan, and it'll make sense of this. And it was the best he'd learned in theology in seminary. But then when his own son, day by day, was aging year by year, and he said it didn't work anymore. In fact, he said, where was God when I needed him most? It just seemed so terribly unfair, and it forced me to reconsider everything I'd been taught in seminary about God's role in the world. It was shattering. If that were God's plan for my son, it's a bad bargain, he said. I don't want to have to deal with a God like that. He had a choice, as he saw it. Either God is all-powerful, and God planned for this to happen, and God is sovereign over this happening, God's allowing this to happen, or God's benevolent and all-loving and doesn't want this to happen, but can't, or has decided he can't, shouldn't do anything about it. He had a choice between these two poles, either the sovereignty of God and his power, or the benevolence of God and his love. And he decided consciously, if he had to choose between those two, the theological conclusion I came to, he writes, is that God could have been all-powerful at the beginning, but he chose to designate two areas of life off-limits to his power. He chose not to exercise power over the laws of nature, and he chose not to exercise power over our freedom to choose between good and evil. He decided that if he had to choose between God's power and God's love, he would choose God's love and relinquish God's power. So God still has some power, but he doesn't have power over nature. 
and he doesn't have power over human choice. That's pretty much the problem that the entire scripture is addressing. Notice how Krishna made one flaw in how he expresses this. And we make the same flaw. So we need to really grab, the, grab this right. Because the Bible's not answering the question that's most pressing to us. It's answering a second question. But it's related to the question that's most pressing to us. You notice how Krishna said, what caused Krishna to change his theology? His own personal experience. Rabbi Krishna. You know by the name, or you know by the title, Rabbi Krishna is Jewish. He was born in 1930s. He was aware of world news during the Holocaust. If suffering is going to make you change your theology, why would it be your personal suffering rather than the Holocaust? Now, the reason we want to adjust this, now, you can't fault Rabbi Krishna because we're all the same way, right? I hear of people dying. I hear of people dying every week. It doesn't really matter to me until it's somebody in my family or somebody I love who dies, right? Then it really becomes urgent. It's not a, it matters, but it's not a crisis of faith until it touches me personally. Well, for Scripture, the Bible will talk a little bit about how these things impact us personally. But for Scripture, here's the real issue. It's not that my life is broken. For Scripture, here's the real issue. It's that the world is broken. Here's the real threat to faith in God. Not that my life or your life is broken, but the entire world is broken. How can God be sovereign and powerful? How can God be benevolent if we live in a world where ISIS can capture journalists and slit their throats? No, that's a personal issue. How can we live in a world where God is sovereign? How can God be sovereign and powerful and, and benevolent in our world if ISIS can come in and commit genocide against Muslims of a different faith, against the Chaldean Christians? How can we affirm the sovereignty and benevolence of God in a world where tsunamis sweep away hundreds of thousands of people all at once? It's the cosmic issues that trouble Scripture so much because they're the big threat. Little things happen. Little, yeah, you can understand it. Maybe sometimes we all we suffer. But any time in the world, you know, after the, the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a hope that now the superpower rivalry would lead to a reduction in proxy wars. The peace dividend, it was called. The money we would save from fighting wars. The peace dividend and how we can invest that in building up our own economy. And what kind of a world do we live in still today? The daily news. How can God be sovereign and benevolent if this is the sort of world we live in? And that's really the question that all of Scripture is trying to deal with. And it starts in Genesis 1 with an unembarrassed affirmation of this. Genesis 1 makes two basic points. God is sovereign. 
and God is benevolent. Genesis 1. Turn with me, Genesis chapter 1. Really easy to find, page 1. God is sovereign and God is benevolent. Genesis 1 to 11 is setting up the problem that the rest of Scripture will try to address. Notice Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Notice Genesis 1, 6. And God said, Let there be expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the expanse. And in verse 9, and God said, let, and then it happened. In verse 11, and God said, let, and it happened again. In verse 14, and God said, let, there be lights, and there were lights. And God said in verse 20, let the water team with living creatures, and the water team with living creatures. And in verse hmm, 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures. And the land produced living creatures. And then verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image. And man came into existence. You see the power of God. He doesn't have to make things. Not like us. He doesn't have to take something that exists, the pieces of wood, and form them together into some other thing. God is so powerful that all he says is, Do, Appear. And the thing appears. The power of God, the sovereignty of God. He does not have to exert a sweat. He doesn't have to fashion. He just calls things into being, the power of God. And look at the benevolence of God. What's the other refrain that keeps coming up? God said, let there be light. God saw that the light was good. God said, let there be an expanse. Let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and the, the land separated from the seas and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation. And the land produced vegetation and God saw that it was good. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. And there were lights, sun and moon and stars. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the water team with living creatures. And the water team with living creatures. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And there were all sorts of animals. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image. And then in verse 31, God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Genesis 1 sets up the expectation that our world will be orderly and that our world will be good because God is powerful and God is benevolent. Genesis 1 tells us what to expect. And then when you go into Genesis 2, and the devotional readings will expand this in more detail. We don't have time together this morning, but the devotional readings will expand. What does it mean for the world to be good? And Genesis 2 explores at least four different relationships in our lives. Genesis 2 looks at our relationship with God, and it tells us we can expect a warm, spiritual, devout relationship with God. It looks at our relationship with our environment. What's the whole point about Eden? 
is that God took man and put them in this garden, idyllic place, to have a positive, warm, nurturing relationship with his environment. God gave him a place. And God gave him work. Adam and Eve both had their responsibilities. But the thing about this is the work was rewarding and fulfilling and enriching. And then God gave them each other. And they were soulmates. Genesis chapter 2. Then why isn't it that way now? Why is our world broken? Why are our lives broken? Why does, is spirituality, you know, such a challenge sometimes? You know, sometimes it's really easy and we're well connected with God and, and things are going great and we're excited about our relationship with God and, and things are happening. We see things happening in the people around us. We, we see things happening in our lives, in our church, and things are going great. And other times we read the Bible because, well, quite frankly, we feel guilty if we don't read the Bible. Not because we want to. Or we pray perfunctorily because, well, we haven't seen anything happen lately. We wonder if it's pointless. Why is spirituality sometimes hard and sometimes glorious? Why do we start out when we choose a career often? We wander around for a little while choosing majors, but why do we start out? What's your goal in your career? Isn't it to make a difference? To see life change? And then we get stuck into our studies or we get stuck into that career where we think, oh man, a whole life of this? Why is it? That sometimes, you know, we look at nature and the beauty just kind of melts us. And other times the floods come and the earthquakes hit. Why is it that we long to be married to our soulmate and we think we found them? And then we marry them and on some days are really, really good. And some days are not so much. And Genesis 3 tells us that Satan did something and man did something. Genesis 3 is saying God is still sovereign. God is still benevolent, even though the world is broken. Genesis 3 has this little hope embedded in it. In part of the judgment that explains why our world is the way it is, Genesis 3 includes this ray of hope. I will put enmity between Satan and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will, and you will strike his heel, God said to the serpent. Genesis has this little hope that somehow the brokenness of our world will be taken care of and that the glory of our world will shine forth. Genesis holds out this hope that one day our world will not be like it is, won't not be like it was. Over the course of the next nine months, we're going to look at the scripture as it addresses this problem. That our world is glorious and our world is frustrating. And scripture is going to address how God is going to solve this. Genesis 1 to 11 sets up the problem. Here it is. Our world is bipolar. The rest of scripture tells what God is doing about it. what it means for us. It means that we are invited to look up our eyes from our own private lives and see the world around us. The biggest issue is not that our lives are broken. The biggest issue is that the world is broken. 
Scripture invites us into this story. This is not what God intended. Here is what God intends, Eden. And here is how God is going to bring it back to us. As we look over the next few months, we'll see God's plan for restoring the world to what it should be and what it once was. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to be with us as we look in your word. We ask you to speak to us through your word as we read it and listen for you. We ask you to shape our lives in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.